Here we go again, another episode of New School Critics. My name is Chris, and today we're going to be talking about Ozark Season 2. We have an episode on Ozark Season 1, if you want to check that out. Uh, with Season 2, one of the things that jumps out to me when thinking about the show, and really what makes the show stand out to me and different, and it really came to me when I was organizing the plot points, because you could break the show down into several of the larger arcs that it has. There's the FBI plot that's going on, the casino plot that's going on, uh, Charlotte's emancipation plot that's kind of a, a driving subplot through it, and then the Cade plot that's going on. There are all of these little arcs that kind of make up this season and give it its flavor, texture. And I'm thinking about why that stands out to me and why that feels unique when compared to other shows. And I guess one of the examples I would compare it to or juxtapose it against is uh, Stranger Things. You look at Stranger Things and the first season isn't defined so much by the character arcs. I mean, the characters definitely have arcs that they're going on or little tensions between them, but the main thing is dealing with the Demigorgon, right? Uh, or in season two and three, dealing with the Mind Flayer. And that larger conflict is what drives the characters along and kind of unites all of them. And it's underneath the umbrella of that macro conflict that all of the smaller character arcs kind of take place and add a bit more dimensionality to the show. So you have that primary arc, but in something like Ozark, that's not really the case. I mean, you could point to the casino aspect of being the main thing, but it almost feels like a MacGuffin in a lot of ways, because while the casino continues to come up and everything that Marty and Wendy do kind of drives towards that, it still kind of falls by the wayside. More so, it's the character arcs that are going on where the character starts and where the character ends in the season that tends to drive more of the story along and really makes up a bulk of the plot dynamics or episode dynamics. So you're not as concerned with the FBI story as you just are Roy, the FBI agent, right? And you're not so caught up in the casino story as you are with Wendy and Wilkes and Marty and the characters and what's going on with those characters. Uh, so the macro arcs feel a bit less important than the character arcs that are specifically going on, which I'm sure that there are other shows that that happens. Like The Wire really has a focus on character arcs more so than a larger plot arc for the season, but probably fuses together the macro and micro arc a bit better. I don't know if that's a, a better thing, right? There's strength in just focusing on the events. There's strength in focusing just on the character arcs. And then, of course, there's a strength in balancing both. Though, to me, somebody that considers The Wire the number one TV show ever, I guess I would argue that it's better to do both. But Ozark, I really think with season two, started to stand out to me a lot more. Like, I enjoyed season one a lot, but there were so many more tensions and layers and I just got way more caught up in season two just because I couldn't believe how much was going on with all the characters and how big each episode felt. The fact that each episode was under an hour surprised me because it felt like they were two-hour <laughs> movies with how much was going on. So for this episode, I thought we would go through each of the characters and kind of talk a little bit about their arcs and stories and what jumped out to me about them. Uh, just a 
kind of look at Ozark season two. So starting off, I kind of have these in power rankings going from uh, maybe the least interesting or least important to me to the most important or most interesting. So we start off with Rachel, uh, the former owner of the Blue Cat Saloon who has a drug problem. And they really make her just kind of a, a tragic figure. She started off with a lot of strength and intrigue in season one, and because of her association with Marty, she ends up getting dragged lower and lower until she's in this very awful and sad state and overdoses at a point and has to be sent to rehab. And to see the potential that she had as a character and, oh, are her and Mar Marty going to have something going on? Maybe, maybe. And she just kind of crumbles in this season. I thought that was pretty poignant and daring, uh, just because I, I think a lot of the time shows try to maintain some kind of uh, equilibrium. Like they might have a character stray a little too far in the wrong or a little too far into happiness, but for the most part they bring them back so the character never really escapes the show. But Ozark hasn't been afraid to have characters fall off and introduce new ones, which gives it more of that Game of Thrones quality where you don't know if somebody's going to die. <laughs> you don't know. Nobody's guaranteed to make it to the next season or even through a season. So for somebody like Rachel that was not like A tier in season one, but definitely an important part of season one to get so reduced in season two to where she falls out completely. I thought was pretty well done and interesting and just spoke to uh, the lack of fear that this show has with making moves. Uh, that also gives us Charlotte and Wyatt, which Charlotte's arc kind of amounts to a lot of nothing <laughs> when I think about it because the build to her wanting emancipation was kind of cool. She starts exhibiting maybe her worst behavior. She falls in with Wyatt a little bit deeper and starts feeling a bit more local. But you can see her starting to disconnect from her parents. And the consequence of that, I don't think we've really seen yet. As looking ahead into season three, I thought it would maybe play a larger part. In fact, when I was watching season three, it had been such a long time that I actually forgot the Charlotte Emancipation story ever happened. I remember more so that her and Wyatt started to have more of a uh, relationship or more of an intimacy between them, even if it never went anywhere. It seemed like it could. Uh, the emancipation part kind of fell off completely, but I will say that this season, season two, did make me care more about Charlotte and Wyatt than I did in season one. Uh, in season one, both of them were kind of the least interesting to me. Wyatt contemplating the death of his dad and uncle really brought more to the table, though the hallucinations are a bit more metaphysical than anything else going on in the show. And season three dropped that plot line a lot. I do wonder how they'll pay off on that or if they'll bring it back at all. Uh, again, a little bit of a, I don't know if the show is trying to find its footing and decided, no, we're going to nix that. That's not right for us. Or if it's something that they're going to come back more full force and really pay off on. I think with how smart the show has been, hopefully they'll pay off on it rather than it just have it be <laughs> a strange deviation. But the fact that Wyatt's processing this grief and it's causing this conflict, leading to both him and Charlotte trying to escape, and that both get reeled back in, and how that leads to Wyatt's choices in season three, I think is very fascinating. So there's a lot more payoff 
for his character into season three based on what happens here than I think that there is for Charlotte. But I still really did start to like Charlotte's character a lot more. And then with Ruth and Wyatt, that's so brutal that Ruth has this goal of getting Wyatt to college and Canna Langmore go to college only for her to be the reason that he refuses to go because she finally admits to him that she's the one that causes dad and uncle to die. Ugh, that's that heartbreaking stuff, right? It's just brutal and consequential. Like Her arc had been she's trying to benefit Wyatt, yet she ends up being the one to do the most damage to him when she was the only one that cared. That's that Shakespearean, like Robert McKee screenplay uh, aspect that just makes for really strong quality writing. So I like those. Cade, uh, man, so Cade was really one-dimensional, right? Ruth's dad, he's just an asshole <laughs> and a criminal and he's not going to change. And in season one, he was in prison and you could tell that there was a lot of uh, violence uh, potential with him. He had a capacity for violence that leaked through the screen. And in season two, now that he's out of jail, he brings that presence out into the world, which is so great. It's like seeing Jaws in a cage <laughs> in one movie, and then he's gone and out in the next movie. And you're just like, oh, there's a shark in the water. Great. How is this going to happen? He's the shark. And he really does not slow down for the whole season. I think because of the nature of the show, you don't know if he's going to be an agent that causes issues or if he's just setting up another tragedy. And, I mean, yeah, he <laughs> sets up another tragedy. He ends up getting got by the end of the show. Uh, but he sets up a lot of points, even with him being gone, that uh, echo and resonate into season three. So he's there being a bad influence on Ruth, but his death ends up still having a lingering effect that impacts the relationship that Ruth's able to have with Wendy and Marty in season three. But thinking back on the season, I'm also, I'll save that when I get to Ruth, but he was definitely a bad influence on Ruth. Uh, then we have Buddy, who was crazy, uh, but in a good way, because there are other characters in this season that were crazy in a uh, not so good way in terms of like lovability, like great for plot drama, but just uh, terrifying. <laughs> uh, but Buddy brought that, crazy energy that really elevated him this season more than season one where he was just kind of there and secondary they elevated him in importance especially his relationship with jonah and i don't even have jonah on the list of characters to talk about i know he had a, a role to play as he's kind of coming into his own he's showing a capacity and uh, willingness to join in with what his mom and dad are doing that's kind of terrifying in a lot of ways and that uh, interest goes into season three and just kind of leaves us wondering, like, what's Jonah going to be capable of? Oh, my God, season three. We'll talk about that soon. But uh, his relationship with Buddy and just Buddy having more of that, like, old rapscallion <laughs> air to him that he brings to the table where he's able to do things and say things that other characters aren't. He's able to be a father figure for Jonah in a way that Marty hasn't been able to. Uh, it sets up a lot of damage for Jonah when Buddy goes, but also having Buddy's connections 
to the Kansas City Mafia helps, and then he ends up being the one that's able to cause complications for Darlene and Jacob in a way that also protects our main characters. So Buddy's role as a character in this season really, really takes on an elevated status and still has ramifications into season three, which I think is cool because it's just another instance of a slow burn payoff that this show manages to have. Because in season one, if you were to ask, will Buddy play an important role, you'd probably shrug. Like, sure, it's capable of it, but will he? And then he goes off and does and has this uh, great uh, blazing outro for his character arc, which is fantastic. Uh, Next, we have Ruth which uh, I have Ruth kind of in the middle here of interesting characters. I really do like Ruth as a character. She has such a I don't give a shit attitude about everyone and everything, despite caring so much about everyone and everything. Uh, that contradiction's really nice. And she carries a lot of overall uh, pro and con energy, right? She's terrifying. She's crazy. She's sad. She's empathetic. She's really the most dynamic character I think the show has. Though I will say, getting into season three versus season two, I'm getting a little bit tired of her uh, starting very loyal to the birds and then deciding, no, I'm not loyal to the birds. Because that's what we see happen here. She's very into what Marty is, uh, her relationship with Marty and becoming a stronger part of the business but then she doesn't feel like Marty's doing enough. So she goes off with her dad to try to like, be a criminal and get more money, only to end up back with the birds. And season three, we see a very similar arc. I mean, it's done much differently, and man, it hits a lot harder. So maybe you could argue that this is foreshadowing of that and just shows the instability of the relationship despite the... Uh, father-daughter or mentor-mentee relationship her and Marty have and how much passion they have for each other when they're in a good place, but how that is still so fragile because they're not family. Uh, There's some arguments to be made. I would like them not to keep going back to that, but it really seems like at the end of season three that we are at a tipping point or breaking point, which sets up very interesting aspects in season four. So Ruth in season three or season two, I like the struggle that she has and I think it really humanizes her in a way, even though she was very human in season two, her struggle with responsibility and her history, being a daughter, but also being a caregiver to Wyatt and the other brother, three, seven, six it's a number right (laughs) um there's a lot going on with her in this season that she's just carrying around which still makes her uh nonetheless very interesting so then i have mason next and mason just because his story escalates so much like as dynamic as ruth's story is mason's is uh extremely depressing and he has one of the best moments in the show with him taking Wendy hostage and the showdown with Marty escalating to the point that Marty has to kill Mason. Like, we don't see that happening. Marty, up to that point, hadn't really had his hands get dirty. And for him to kill somebody for his wife, when he and Wendy have had so many issues, like, that says a lot and that carries a lot of weight. Though, 
again, in season three, maybe some of that gets lost because the incident with Mason doesn't have quite the ramifications or consequences in the plot that you would maybe expect given how significant of an event <laughs> that it is. Um, but Mason, like, he's gone through hell. His wife just disappears, his kid gets taken from him, his church falls apart, and he's just at his wit's end. He, like Rachel, is a really broken character and really shows that being part of the bird's world sucks. And even if the birds, as our main characters and the ones that we should be feeling the most sympathy or empathy for, continue to have mostly success in their endeavors, they keep leaving behind these broken people that are the cost of their success and they're willing to pay that cost again and again. It really creates an interesting dynamic for our relationship with the characters because while we're rooting for them when you take a step back and look at who they've ruined it makes you question why you're rooting for them how can you support their behavior when this is the result of that behavior that you have mason really lose everything and then try to kill them only to be killed like that's sad and that Mason's uh, actor pulls that off so well that you get this crazy energy and you go to that place. Like, I'm all for that. <laughs> uh, that was a great arc. Even if the Mason character isn't somebody that I really like watching, what happens to him, I like seeing as just a viewer of this story. It's strange. Uh, then we have Roy, the FBI agent who, you know, he's introduced in season one as trying to uh get the birds and in, he goes through some great lengths in season one uh and crosses a lot of lines in having a relationship with Wyatt's dad and using some very uh, underhanded and controversial means of turning people into informants that he has a mission that is a strong and right mission right he's on the side of the law but he's going about it in a way that feels wrong is like with everybody in this show an interesting uh, contradiction and dynamic that makes him have a bit more texture and layers to him than he would otherwise have if he was just a do right crusader character and in this season he takes a further turn for the worse what he does with Rachel getting her hooked on drugs and forcing her into a situation that continually breaks her down is really sad. And how he reacts to the death of Wyatt's dad and kind of the low place that he's in is also very sad. But he it causes him to have very crazy energy because it's become a personal thing for him to get the birds. And he goes off his rocker trying to make it happen and ends up being killed by Cade, which having those two characters take each other out uh, is kind of, I don't want to say poetic, but it. I feel like I don't see a lot of shows where the main characters are so defined, right? Like the birds are the main characters. Uh, you don't often see secondary characters handle each other usually you would say that the main characters have to be the ones to do everything or have the consequential action whether that's the birds whether that's ruth whether that's uh i guess the birds are ruth but 
to have Cade and Roy kind of have the showdown and Cade be the one that takes out Roy, it just shows that Ozark isn't afraid to elevate its characters and let those characters have big moments that might other shows might reserve for somebody else. Like Game of Thrones might only have Arya kill somebody or wait to have Jon Snow do something cool. And... You know, Ozark isn't afraid to let somebody else get this shining moment of taking out a character. And it fits with Cade's demeanor. It makes him even worse. It's a sad end to Roy and creates opportunities in season three for other agents. It's just uh, ugly taking out ugly. (laughs) Uh, And then we have Marty and Wendy, who I have them as the, I guess, third in the power rankings. Marty doesn't really I know he has a lot of things that he does in this season but I feel like he's almost a bit reduced in this season his main arc is trying to get his family out right he wants the casino deal to go through so then he can give everything over to Ruth and he and his family can run to Australia so while that is his active mission he's not as into everything that's going on and he's mostly kind of brought two different things by the powerful people around him. He's just kind of a a paper boat on the water in a storm (laughs) and doing his best to survive. Uh, Wendy, on the other hand, is very, very active and very into everything with the casino. She craves power. And in the first season, we saw that she was very powerful and had a lot of uh, capabilities and capacity and confidence to be on the level of Marty and work with him to make this happen. She could hold her own in a room, and it makes sense because she was a a campaign advisor, political advisor. She has to have that kind of confidence and logistical uh, vision to get these things to happen and make them happen and charm and be very Wendy. But when she starts interacting with Wilkes, you can see that her aspirations really rise to the point where it does, you do wonder at times, is she going to leave Marty for Wilkes? Would she sleep with Wilkes just for the sense of power that it gives her? But she stays loyal, even if she still manages to be very scary in how she manipulates everybody around her. And the success that she has in getting the casino launched and this taste of power that she has schmoozing with these high-level people really set up in season three this ego and confidence that is destructive in terms of the presumption she has dealing with the cartel leader. And it really does get the family into a lot of problems. So to see the escalation of her confidence and her craving for power from season one into season two and have that continue into season three, going from something in season two that it feels very... I guess satisfying to see her operate, even if she's pretty like wild and scary when it comes from like Marty's perspective. I mean, at the end, when she tells him, We're not leaving, this is our thing, you can tell that she's thinking more about what she wants and this sense of being important rather than the safety of her family. And that really puts her and Marty at odds. Uh, I think they really did a lot for her character in this season and low-key made her one of the scariest people in the show to me because I don't know when she'll stop. Like, I already feel like Ozark is similar to Breaking Bad in ways 
definitely not with Marty and uh, Walter White, right? They're not similar in characterization at all. But Wendy really started to feel like she was going Walter White in this season as you know, Walt in Breaking Bad starts to really like what he's doing. And Wendy really starts to like what she's doing this season. Uh, next, we have Helen, <laughs> the cartel lawyer that comes into the picture, uh, being the new face of the cartel. In season one, we had the the guy that gets shot by the Snells. Uh, Helen comes in, and she is so terrifying. She reminds me of a velociraptor in just the fa- fact that she seems smarter than everybody else around her and more capable than everybody else around her, that she moves around and she can point, and the cartel will kill whoever she points at she's very powerful she feels at times like she's operating in god mode while the rest of the characters just have to be hopeful that they don't upset her so for her to enter the picture i really liked the edge that she brought to things and that she was this unknown figure will the birds be able to win her favor and what will that get them or is getting closer to her just asking for trouble. And this character dynamic and the dynamic that they have with her really escalates into season three. But I think she shows up and she has such presence from the get-go that I really dug that because (laughs) you need to have powerful people in this show and you need to have the birds responding to those people because the same thing with Breaking Bad, as the character is presented with these hurdles of people that seem more powerful than them, when the character is able to take that person down, it elevates the status of the character. So each time you have somebody powerful come in, it's an opportunity to see our heroes who we're rooting for, even though they're bad people, take that next step in ascendancy. Uh, So I was excited that Helen would hopefully be that step, and it was cool that that got uh, paid off on in season three. Then Darlene and Jacob, (laughs) they're at the top of my power rankings for characters in season two, just because Darlene's such a psycho, like terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. And Jacob, I really like the actor, I really like his demeanor. But the dynamic between those two and the complicated relationship that they had, like Darlene's crazy about being a mom and her insane desire to care for people and her insane protectiveness and ego when it comes to everything that they're doing with Jacob being much more practical, still vicious, but practical. They feel like a alternative timeline version of Marty and Wendy, which probably is on purpose, right? This show is written in such a way and so smartly that it wouldn't surprise me if Darlene and Jacob are supposed to be uh, kind of foreshadowing of where the Marty and Wendy relationship goes, especially in season three, when we know that Marty and Wendy start having more and more issues with each other. And it starts to feel like they're escalating to something violent between them not just will their marriage last but will they enter into a competition with each other that has far greater consequence than what we've seen darlene and jacob despite loving each other despite being on the same page we see over the course of the season start to have very diverging pathways where jacob is really slowing down 
and really satisfied with just being with Darlene and with what they have, where Darlene is not. She wants more and more and doesn't want to give up anything despite whatever trouble comes to her doorstep, she's ready to fight. And for them to have the arc that they have, they start off so powerful and are just decimated by the birds, by the cartel over the course of the season to the point where it's either Darlene's way or Jacob's way forward for them to survive. And they realize that only one of them can survive. That's the position that they're put into. So the fact that they're doing their thing for decades on top of their own little world, and then between the end of the first season and the end of the second season, they're brought to the point where they each feel they have to kill the other. Oh man, what a story. And for Darlene to just be so psychotic the whole time, where she truly, more than anybody, you don't know what she will do. (laughs) She is so over the top and... Man, I can't get enough of her on screen, even though every time she's on screen, I feel a little bit of panic and terror. And for her character, I mean, to do what she did in this season, uh, poisoning Jacob, leading into season three and the role that she starts to play, I couldn't tell if they were setting her up to be the big bad or if they were setting Helen up to be the big bad. But one thing is clear by this season, and really is still clear in season three, in this show, the women rule supreme. (laughs) Uh, They really take the cake in terms of who's making the most important decisions and who's willing to take the most important actions and consequential actions. Uh, And this season was definitely a rise in prominence and power between these women and season three you start to see wendy helen and darlene really make their chess moves for power and positioning and season three definitely paid off on it man (laughs) and i think that's the thing i came out of season two really like what great tv that was awesome but i wasn't all that excited for Season three, I was just like, that's enjoyable, on to the next thing, and didn't really think about Ozark for the last, what was it, like two years? And then with season three, I gotta say season three was one hell of a season, and elevated Ozark to that place where I'm just like, is this currently the best show on TV? Um, But you don't get there without season two, and I don't think that that's to say that season three did anything more than what season two was doing, or that they really, like discovered something special i just think that by nature of the show they knew that they were going to escalate and where they were going to take the show so season one is just by its nature smaller and more compact and can't go to all the crazy places because they have to establish everything and season two in the same way is paying off and building a lot uh, paying off on a lot of season one but also building things laying the foundation you don't get the greatness of season three without seasons one and season two building appropriately and doing all the necessary steps needed to get the characters to where they get them to establish uh, the confrontations that we need established for season three to really really hit hard like that's just great escalation and great writing so i think my power rankings of ozark seasons I would go three, two, one. 
uh yeah definitely but ozark season two was definitely a master class in terms of character arcs and layering all these different tensions and desires from characters and having it build into this world that is very terrifying <laughs> and full of people that are hungry to uh make moves to achieve to get ahead even if they're scared of the situation that they're in there's opportunity and they're willing to take that opportunity and that's so dangerous but also so enthralling for a show and i think that's why it's called ozark rather than <laughs> um I, I, something more specific it's just because it's the location in the place it gives it kind of a broader feel that allows you to have this wider range of characters all be important and all share the screen time because it's not just the birds where you focus on the one family and they're the main thing. Even though they are, you're able to have these other characters rise up because this is what it is in the Ozark, right? <laughs> uh, so I think I've talked long enough. But if <laughs> you're enjoying the contents, uh and you're listening on YouTube, liking, subscribing, commenting, all helps the channel grow. If you're listening in a podcast format, then leaving a review on iTunes definitely goes a long way, and also subscribing to the show goes a long way. And if you have anything that you want me to talk about and do a new school critics analysis on, books, movies, TV shows, albums, uh, go ahead and leave a comment or email me at... <laughs> newschoolchris at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Kanye Podcast. I'd love to hear your recommendations and get to them as quickly as I can. If you have any thoughts on Ozark Season 2, let me know. <laughs> and we'll be back again soon for another uh, new school commentary. Cheers. <laughs>